0: Good morning, church. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. Mark and Carmela, thank you so much for updating us, and so excited that you guys are able to get back to where you are called. Uh, If you are curious about what God is doing globally, and are you going to be here after the service for a little bit, or do you have to, okay, Uh, connect with Mark, and they would love to connect with you. Um, So appreciative for you guys and what you do uh, for Jesus around the world. Um, I'm not ready to preach yet. I say that often, right? But I'm just not. I'm like, I'm a very relational per, we're all relational beings. Some people just hide it really well. Um, you know, like those, those, uh, those introverts, they're relational too. Um, I'm actually like 50 50. So if I just offended you, I'm half offended myself. Um, I need you to take like 30 seconds and say hi to someone near you that you didn't come with. So make eye contact, fist bump, high five, handshake, hello. Whatever it is, say hi to someone near you who you did not come with. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We won't overdo it because I know some people that like, so I'm a pastor. I live my life in the world of trying to figure out how to pastor. And there's all these studies that say doing things like that will drive people away from your church. Don't do it. And other studies that say doing things like that make church meaningful. And I'm like, and Whatever, right? Like, who knows? There's no experts on anything in the world. There's a lot of people who try to pretend to be experts. Uh, I have you do that because I need to hear your voices. I need to see a little bit of interaction. And I know it makes some people uncomfortable and some people really happy. Some people want to extend that for the whole service. Like, tell that guy to be quiet. I want to talk to the people near me. Uh, and I don't know where you fall in on that, but I'm so glad that you're here at Park Community Church. We are a family of people striving to do life together and to walk with Jesus together. And I hope that if you are new or if you've been coming here forever and you feel like you're falling through the cracks, that over time you will you will get connected and cared for here. This is an amazing church family with people who care deeply for you and love Jesus. Um, as we get going this morning uh it, it's linda already touched on this like hope and expectation i love those two words it's hard to overstate the importance of the sun you probably feel it this time of year like this morning even i, I as i was up early i looked outside and after a couple days of gray, I actually saw a little more color in the sky and I could tell that the sun was going to come up. And, and as I, as I just sat at my back window and watched the sun crept up through the trees and it ministered to my soul. This winter in Minnesota, it's been so long, so dark, so cold. And we had like three days of summer and then it went back to winter and the lack of vitamin D, the lack of light, the lack of sun just deeply affects me. And I've started to realize that maybe this year more than any other year, and I know it affects many of you. And, uh, and it's just hard to overstate the importance of the sun. I love how Phillips Brooks, a pastor in the 1800s, refers to the sun. He says, When the sun rose this morning, it found the world in darkness, torpid and heavy and asleep, with powers all wrapped up in sluggishness with life that was hardly better or more alive than dead. The sun found this great sleeping world and woke it. It called it to be itself. It quickened every slow and sluggish faculty. It called to the dull and sluggish streams and said, Be quick, to the dull birds and commanded them to sing, to the dull fields and made them grow, to dull men and women and called them to think and to talk and to work, and to worship. It flashed electric invitation to the whole mass of sleeping power and summoned it to action. It did not make the world. It did not start another set of processes unlike those that had been sluggishly moving along in the dark. Rather, it poured its strength into the essential processes which belonged to the very nature of the earth. It glorified, intensified, and filled the earth. That's exactly what the sun does. It glorifies and intensifies and fills the earth. This is precisely why Jesus calls himself the light of the world. Because he is the true light that glorifies, intensifies, and fills life. And so Jesus is going to use this imagery of light today to instruct us what it looks like to do life with him in the light. I'm going to invite you to stand as I read our text for this morning. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. John 8, 12 through 30. It's on page 894 in the Pew Bible. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered him, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come." As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Lord Jesus, as you speak, faith happens. Lord, I pray this morning that as we look at these words, as we look at your word, that we would hear your voice, and as you are speaking, that we would believe, that we would trust, that we would receive the gift of faith, which comes by hearing the word of God. And so meet us where we're at this morning, Lord Jesus, and take us to where you desire us to be, in your presence, where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. We pray in your name, amen. You may have a seat. Well, the context of this passage, and if you are newer to Park Community Church in the last couple of weeks, we generally preach through books of the Bible. We've been going through the book of John since December, and so now we are in chapter eight, and you've missed some of the context, but every, it's amazing how The Bible works. Like every little passage has some nuggets for us, but then it all fits into this context, this larger story. And so John is like that, and we're going to see some of this as we go even this morning. But what you missed in the past couple weeks is that in John chapter 7, we saw that Jesus came to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, some of your Bibles may say it, or the Sukkot. It's when one of, the, it's one of the seven annual festivals that the Jewish people would go and remember and celebrate in Jerusalem. It was a seven day festival. It was the seventh of the seven annual festivals. It was a seven day festival where they would remember God's provision for them in the wilderness. And they would literally sleep in tents, in booths, in temporary housing in the city for that week long celebration. And so in John chapter seven, in this setting, Jesus stands up and he says, I am living water and, and this is during a ceremony where the priests would be pouring out living water where they would be pouring out water and he uses that imagery to say, I am living water I am the one who will satisfy you eternally and forever and then we have what we looked at last week this this Passage in John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11, which it's debatable if it should fit in here. Some people think it does that as Jesus is teaching in the temple during the feast of tabernacles, that they bring this woman caught in adultery uh, in the middle of his teaching. Some people think it happened at another place. We talked about that last week. And so if you have questions about that, you could go and listen to last week's sermon to get a little more context for that. Then we pick it up again here in verse 12. And it's still the feast of tabernacles. Jesus is still in Jerusalem for this festival, and and part of this festival, it has has a ton of stuff going on, but as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the pouring out of water was a significant event and ceremony that they would do. Another thing that they would do is nightly, they would light this large torch in the middle of the temple courts, a menorah, and it would represent God being the light of the world. And so part of this festival is this massive lighting of the torch that would illuminate all of Jerusalem throughout the night so that the people could continue to party, celebrate, dance, and remember late into the night. It's a biblical thing to do, to eat and to drink and to party and to dance and to celebrate and to rejoice and to worship who God is and what God has done. This is what the Jewish people are doing in Jerusalem. And they they need light to continue this party late into the night. And so they would light these torches, and and it would would allow them to be able to continue celebrating and worshiping God and being with each other and building community, but it also represented a couple other things. This large torch, it would would illuminate all of Jerusalem. It was a reminder to them of the pillar of cloud and fire which led them through the wilderness. If you're unfamiliar with the story of the Bible, the, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, and God led them out of slavery and led them through the wilderness, and he led them. God himself led them. And in day, he led them with a cloud, and at night, he led them with a pillar of fire. And so, the lighting of this torch is to remind them of the fire in the sky that led them through the wilderness. It's an allusion to Exodus chapter 13, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. That they might travel by day and night. So as they're in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, this light at night reminds them, our, our ancestors, our forefathers, they were led by God through the wilderness in a pillar of fire. It was also a reminder to them of God's promise that Israel, God's chosen people, the Jewish people, would be a light to the nations. That God would use them to bring salvation, to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring judgment in the in the bad sense and the good sense, right? Judgment, we always think judgment is bad, but really judgment just means to make a, a, a right declaration, a right decision. You can judge things that are good and right and lovely and true and judge things that are bad. And so God would use Israel to be, God kind of through Israel would judge the nations. It reminds them of Isaiah 42, 6 where God says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And that might be your basement in winter in Minnesota. All right, this is a beautiful imagery where God says, I will I will work through The Jewish people to be a light to the nations. That imagery, like those who are imprisoned, dark and dungeon, captured by sin, captured by the ideologies of the world, captured by their own flesh. God will work through Israel to be a light to the nations. Also, Isaiah 49, 6 says, I will make you a light as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It will pass through Israel to the ends of the earth, to all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, all languages, all nations. Why you and I, many of us Gentiles, most of us Gentiles, are sitting here on a different continent in a different language reading about Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Because God is faithful, and I love in in Isaiah 42, 6, that, that previous passage, how he says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you. Isn't that beautiful? See, the reality is, those of you who know the biblical story, the Israelites continued to fail, and continued to fail, and continued to fail. They failed to be a light for God to the nations. They dropped the ball. Their religion got in the way. Their traditions got in the way. Their preferences got in the way. Their sin got in the way. Their idolatry got in the way. But God has made this promise. I've made a covenant with you. I will take you by the hand. I will keep you. And I will be a light to the nations through you when you fail to do that. It's also a reminder to them, last reminder, that this light in the middle of their camp is to them that the Lord was Israel's light and salvation himself. He is their light. Psalm 27.1 27.1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? There's so much fear that that festers and grows in the dark. And we know that. And, and all along, God has been saying, there is light. There is light. He created light. He is the light. He sustains the light. He shines the light into the darkness. And so it's significant here in this setting that's a little background context for what's happening here in John 8. In this setting, after John chapter 6, Jesus multiplied the, the fish and the loaves of bread to the people, and he said, I am the bread of life. It was a reminder to them that in, when, when God was leading them through the wilderness that he provided manna for them to eat. He says, I am the bread of life. And then in John chapter 7, in this ceremony of pouring out of the water, he says, I am the living water. Whoever drinks from me will never thirst again. And now here in John chapter 8, another one of their ceremonies, the, the lighting of the menorah, the lighting of the torch, which remind them of all this. He says, I am the light of the world. It's a beautiful passage. Verse 12 is amazing. And then, I don't know if you caught it, you go on, to read, like, let's look at verse 12 again. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Beautiful. And then 13 through 30, it's like, what? So the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Even your testimony is not true. And, and it goes on to have this dialogue with the Pharisees that just seems like a distraction from his declaration that he is the light. Of the world. And so what I want to do this morning is just look at this passage considering kind of these three different movements through this text. Jesus' declaration, verse 12, I am the light of the world. The Pharisees' detour that they take Jesus on. And then the disciples' dependence. Like, how, how, how does this all culminate to actually help us in our walk with Jesus? So that's where we're going this morning. First, Jesus' declaration. Verse 12, what an amazing verse. In this setting... In, in Jerusalem, in the first century, as they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, for Jesus to again stand up and use one of their primary ceremonies to relate to himself and to say, I am the fulfillment of that. All of your celebration, all of these Old Testament happenings that are pointing you to me, the Messiah, the Savior. God said that Israel would be a light to the nations. Guess what? You've struggled, and you failed, and you have dropped the ball, and I am the light. So I want to just look at this verse for a minute and kind of go through it, just kind of phrase by phrase, and make some observations here. The first piece, Jesus says, I am. This is one of seven I am statements recorded in the Gospel of John. Uh, This is the second of seven, sorry. The first one is, I am the bread of life. And then when he says that he is the living water, he doesn't use the phrase, I am, um, some people try to fit it in there. He doesn't actually use it. That's not one of the seven, although it, it could be because he's saying, I, I'm living water. He just doesn't use the I am phrase. This I am phrase here, this is the second time he uses it in the Gospel of John. Second of seven. He says, I am the light of the world. And, and what it's doing here for Jews who knew the Old Testament, knew the Torah, he is, he is referring back to when God, Yahweh, The one true God, the creators of the heavens and the earth revealed himself to Moses. And he begins to establish a people, right? This is the establishment of the people. He says, Moses, I am that I am. And he sends Moses to Egypt to deliver the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. God reveals himself. I am. Jesus is picking up on this. He is, he is claiming equality with God. He is using this declaration that God had given the people in the Old Testament, I am that I am. And he's saying, I am. Just as Yahweh God and the creators of the heaven and earth is, I am. He's claiming divine authority. And then he says, I am the light of the world, right? I am the light of the world. So he's hearkening back to God, revealing himself to Moses, saying, I am that I am. He's saying, I am him. I am God. I am he. I am. And I am the light of the world. He's claiming to be what Israel was supposed to be, but continually failed to be. This is good news for us, church family. Israel didn't just drop the ball. Humanity drops the ball. Have you noticed how we struggle to be Jesus in every situation? And Jesus will actually say, in the Gospels, he will say, you are the light of the world. But it's, there's this interesting paradox because he transforms us and he is light and he gives us the light. And now we shine, right? It's like a light bulb versus electricity, right? We're like the light bulb. We're dependent on electricity to run through the light bulb. You flip the switch, these lights go off. You turn the switch on; that they are illuminated by electricity. Electricity is always there, ready and available. These light bulbs don't have the light; they are a conduit for the light. And Jesus here is saying, "I am the light of the world." It's a good reminder that He's the light. We we aren't the we don't. I can't say we aren't the light because Jesus actually says, "You are the light of the world." But we don't like generate the light from ourselves we are we are dependent from uh, we are dependent on the light to come from a different source and to work through us to illuminate us and to illuminate through us we don't produce the light we merely are conduits for the light jesus also says whoever right i am the light of the world whoever and this is a hugely important word He's speaking to primarily Jews here who God had said in the Old Testament, you are a light to the world. You are a light to the nations. And and it was commonly believed that the Messiah would come to save Israel, to save the Jews. But Jesus now is expanding this, this redemptive sweep throughout Scripture that it's not just about a particular people in a particular place. It's about all the peoples of the world. So Jesus' declaration here, I am the light of the world, whoever, he's expanding it. Not just faithful Jews who trust in the Messiah, but all of people, anyone and everyone who comes to Jesus has this opportunity. That's such good news for us church family. Here we sit 2,000 years later on a different continent, different culture, different language, And you have friends and family members and coworkers and neighbors that you care about, and you want them to—you want to see them walk in the light and be reminded here that Jesus says, "Whoever—it's open. Like there's nobody who is a lost cause to the good news of Jesus Christ and to the illumination of the light of God through the person of Jesus into their darkness. Don't lose heart." Don't lose hope. Maybe for yourself, you may feel like you are perpetually covered in darkness. You may be in a dark night of the soul. You may be groveling forward, trying to get yourself into the light. And Jesus here, this invitation, it's kind of a declaration and an invitation. He's declaring who he is, and he's also inviting us in whoever. Whoever. Whoever what? Whoever follows him. It's not just like, you're all covered This invitation is inclusive to all, but the results, the effect, are exclusive to those who would then follow Jesus. This is what Christianity is all about. It's about following Jesus. It's not about following man-made rules or religions or laws or creeds or traditions. Many people are turned off because sometimes churches and institutions will make it seem like to follow God means to conform to their rules and their traditions. Some of you have been hurt by that very reality. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, whoever follows me, a living, breathing, embodied savior is showing you a way of life, not a way of tradition or religion. In fact, most of Jesus's ministry is overturning their religious traditions and showing how their religious traditions are incapable of giving them new life and showing how even the Old Testament law is pointing them to the reality that they can't do it. And so follow me. I will show you the way. I will illuminate the path. It's like this journey that Jesus invites us on to, to, to follow him follow him, to walk with him. This is why Park exists, church family. If you've been here forever, we exist to help each other walk with Jesus, not to uphold some tradition of ancient church days past. If you're new to this, this is why we exist, to help each other walk with Jesus, to get in the mess together. To, to look to Jesus together, to remember that he is the light of the world, and that all people are invited in, regardless of where you are on the journey. You're invited in to say, I want to follow. I want to go. I want to walk with this man and the people that he's creating. Walk with Jesus together. And then he, he says, he promises that whoever walks with him, right? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a beautiful promise. Whoever follows me, and that that follows there, it's this continual, right? It's not like just whoever joined the journey, took a couple steps, and then decided to stop, turn around, go back home. This consistent, in, in, in your walk, in different seasons, it may be a limp, it may be a run, it may be a skip, I don't know, If you walk with Jesus for any length of time, you're going to have different seasons. Sometimes you're like, man, this is life-giving and amazing and I'm so glad I'm journeying with Jesus. Other times you're like, would you slow down, Jesus? Would you stop? I want to go home. I want to go back. And we may feel pulled towards the darkness. But Jesus promises here, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever stays with me, whoever keeps walking with me, they will not walk in darkness, but I, but, but they will have the light of life. Now, don't misread this passage, Jesus' declaration, and assume that you will never dabble in darkness if you're with Jesus, right? I mean, even the psalmist, Psalm 23, David says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there, there are dark nights of the soul and there's dark seasons that we walk through. But Jesus here is promising to guide us and to lead us. In fact, he says, but we'll have the light of life. Like if you're with Jesus, if you continue to walk with him, though there may be dark seasons and dark days, you have the light of life. Again, it's like a light bulb, right? We're like the light bulb. The, the, The light of life is always there and ready for us. Or, or I thought about it this way, last summer I was up in the Boundary Waters with my family and we did a day trip into this lake where we know that fish live and we caught a bunch of fish, it was amazing, we were there late into the night because the fish kept biting and we had to make this portage uh, off of this little lake that we fish on and we came to this larger lake that, and it was windy, it was extremely windy and there were white caps on this lake, and we had to get back to where our car was. Again, it was a day trip, and so it's like 11 p.m., and we get to the, we get across the portage, and we get to the lake, and these white caps are just rolling in to where we're supposed to go, and um, I was the only person in a canoe who didn't have another adult in the canoe. I had my eight-year-old son in the canoe who's like 45 pounds, and he was, nervous. We were all nervous about this situation, and so we waited for a while, and then we just decided, like, there there was rain in the forecast, and we were a long ways away from home. We didn't have camping equipment with us, and so we decided we've got to try it. So we get in our canoes. We have our headlamps on so that we can see where we're going, and we start paddling and just fighting the wind, fighting the waves, and we get through this opening, and we get into a back channel, and it's a little bit better and this back channel goes for a ways and so we're like okay we can do this and but at the end of the channel the lake opens up again so we get through the channel and as we get through the channel the waves start hitting my canoe and just pushing us we can't do anything and my headlamp I can't see anything because it's all it's doing is illuminating what's right in front of me. And it's like like bouncing off the canoe and off the paddle and almost blinding me. And so wave after wave keeps hitting the front of my canoe, swinging me around. And I'm like, and my son is laying on the canoe floor, terrified for his life. And I was trying to hide the fact that I wasn't terrified for his life or my life. But like, there's no way we can get across this opening. We can't do it. And so we pull up to the shore and the other two canoes that we were with they came over and you know we just called it we're like we can't we can't do it. So we climb up on the shore of the lake and we just lay there in we were one person was prepared for survival the other two canoes were not prepared and so five of us laying underneath one blanket we're wearing shorts and sandals and it's in the 40s. And we're shivering and freezing and cold, but there's nothing we can do because we're in the dark. We can't see where we're going. And so we're just praying that it doesn't rain. You know, we keep like listening to the wind, looking at the waves, like, are we ever going to be able to do it? And no, 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 we can't do it in the dark. We can't see when the wave comes and, and pushes the canoe. And so we, we lay there until about 4 a.m. when the sun started to illuminate the sky just a little bit. And we then we were like we can try it now because we can actually see you know i can see when the waves are coming and i know when to adjust i know when to hit it harder i know how to correct to 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 get through or over this wave so we get in the canoes and it was it was a battle to get back but we made it because we had the light we didn't just have a small little light right the reality is that there's there's things in life that disguise as light i mean the bible tells us that satan comes as in he deceives us. He disguises himself as an angel of light. Sometimes we're trying to do life with like a little headlamp in a, in a stormy, tumultuous, dark season, and, and we just can't keep pressing on. And here Jesus is saying, if you walk with me, you have the light of life. It's like that difference between just a small little headlamp and imitation of light whether it's wisdom that you try to get from the world, or whether it's Satan who's deceiving you and disguising himself as the light. And Jesus says, come to me, come to me, come to me. Walk with me, walk with me. Follow me, follow me. And you will not be overcome by darkness. You have the light of life with you. And so he invites us to keep walking with him. This is Jesus' declaration. And then, you know, there's the weird pharisaical detour. So verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Like, don't, did they not get it? Jesus is saying, see that big menorah, that big torch that's illuminating the sky, allowing you to celebrate and party and rejoice, reminding you that God led you through the wilderness, reminding you that he called you to be a light to the world, but you failed. So now I am here, the light of the world. And it just it's like in one ear, out the other ear for the Pharisees. They respond, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not even true. It's like total disconnect. Right? You know people like this? Sometimes this happens. Sometimes we are that person. Total disconnect. And they're referring back to John 5.31, when Jesus had actually told them, he he taught, let's look at it, John 5.31, he says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So they remembered that teaching, and, and they're like, ha, Jesus, we caught you contradicting yourself. You're bearing witness about yourself your testimony isn't true. You're claiming to be the light of the world, and there's no other witnesses that are saying that. Well, it it was foolish, because there actually were other witnesses, which we'll look at in just a second. But just, just notice the pharisaical tendency to, to try and get into the details and into the weeds and to miss the big picture and the spiritual point that Jesus is making for the minutia and the practical, Right? There's there's a warning here for us that sometimes we think so naturally, so humanly that we miss the spiritual. They are, Jesus, when he says this in John 5.31, he's referring to Deuteronomy 19.15, which says, A single witness shall not suffice against the person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So Jesus, in John chapter 5, he had said, like, Yeah, you're right. Actually, you need more than one witness. It's never a good idea to listen to one witness. If there's no one to back up a claim, that person's probably a liar, a kook there, right? There's wisdom in having eyewitnesses, having other people to back up a claim. And that's the Old Testament law. Like, you can't just bring charges against somebody because you say that they did wrong. You've got to be able to prove that. There has to be more Witnesses. And so the Pharisees think they catch Jesus here in John chapter 8. He's saying, I'm the light of the world. They're like, you're claiming that alone. But but in their Pharisaical mind, they had already missed it, right? And look at John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. See, Jesus has other witnesses. In John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, it says, In him was life. This is John recording this. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist, different than John, the author of this gospel. There's a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. See, there's there's already been a testimony about Jesus being the light who has gone before Jesus, John the Baptist. Look over at John chapter 5 in the context of Jesus saying that he can't bear witness alone. John 5, verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Great. Don't listen to a man claiming to be God if no one else affirms that that man is God. He's a cult leader. He says, if I bear witness myself, my testimony is not true. But there is another who bears witness about me. One, we already saw John the Baptist, right? And now John the Gospel writer, he says in verse 32, there is another who bears witness about me and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent Uh, You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. John has come before you. He was a testimony. He was a light showing you that I am the light, but my testimony is greater than him. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. God is another witness to who Jesus is and to Jesus' divinity. Jesus' signs, Jesus' teaching, Jesus' oneness with God the Father, they all bear witness to the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. says that the Father who sent me has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard his from whom you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that they that bear witness about me. Isn't that amazing? The Bible doesn't give life. The Bible illuminates Jesus, the light of the world, the one who gives us life. Saying so you can actually use the Bible in a way where it stifles and, and, and squelches your own spiritual life. You can use the Bible to lead other people astray. And some of you have been caught underneath that. And I'm praying that as we look at these words, that that you will be set free from the yoke of burden that the Bible can be if it's not about Jesus and his freedom and his life and his light. So you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So when we get to John chapter 8, we should know when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me, whoever walks with me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We should know he's already been testified about. There's other witnesses, but the Pharisees, they don't see it. See, religion is spiritually blinding. Religious Ritual and rules and traditions—it can be, and it's not all bad, right? Like they're in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, and it was a great celebration. But if if religious rules and tradition becomes more important than the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, it becomes spiritually blinding, and it can distract you from the invitation that Jesus gives to come to Him. And this is what we see the Pharisees caught in—they're caught in that—in verse thirteen, and then the passage goes on. Verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. He, he, he goes on to, to, to reaffirm that if I do bear witness about myself, it's actually not just me alone. I actually have a witness. It's God the Father and the works of the Holy Spirit and all the people who have testified before me and all the Old Testament scriptures that testify about a coming Messiah. He's pointing them to that and he walks through this text and Look at verse 20. Says, So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. There's death in darkness. But Jesus has promised that all who walk with him will have eternal life. And here he's referring to his ascension back into heaven after his death and resurrection and ascension. We can't go there. And if we don't believe him, if we don't take him at his word, if we get stuck in the detours on the journey, Rather than considering Jesus' declaration and, and, and receiving the destination that he will bring us on, we get stuck in the detour. We die in our sin. That's what Jesus has said. You will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot. See, they're just always thinking in the here and now. They don't have spiritual eyes to hear, spiritual eyes to see or spiritual ears to hear. And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. You are thinking carnally, you are thinking earthly, but there's something greater among you. There's a greater hope, there's an eternal hope. I told you that you would die in your sins. And that's a damning statement. But look at how he follows it up. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. There's hope. We're trapped. We're stuck. We will die in our sins. We can't find God. We can't get to the light except for God to illuminate himself to us. So they said to him, Where are you going? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And this whole judgment stuff in this passage, it's it's revealing that God is true. God is right. God is holy. God is the one who judges rightly. Verse 27, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, and this is a reference to the cross, when Jesus is lifted upon the cross, then you will know that I am he. Also, when he's resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven, right? There's kind of three lifting ups of Jesus that help us get the gospel. He's crucified, he's resurrected, he ascends to the heaven where he's at the right hand of God the father. It says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is never alone. God is always with him. He always does the things that are pleasing to God the Father. And in hearing this, verse 30 says, And he was saying these things, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 tells us that faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Jesus. And so part of our spiritual rhythm as a family is to gather together and to hear the word of Jesus. Because it inspires faith, it grows faith, it, it keeps us walking with Jesus, this is the disciples' dependence. Those who hear Jesus and are given the gift of faith and continue to walk with him live in the light, and they have the light of life. If you have Jesus this morning, if you believe him, or that word believe, remember it's pistis, it can mean trust or faith. Like if you have this this trust in Jesus' works rather than your own works, You have light and you have life. You are a son or daughter of God who is also pleasing to God the Father. And that's the the rub for us here in verse 29 when Jesus says, I always do what's pleasing to God. Do we in our flesh? No. And our conscience condemns us and we feel the distance and we feel the condemnation. But here in Jesus, he's saying, I am the light of life. I have given you a new life. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus says, I, who knew no sin, became sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus said he's always pleasing to the Father, you and I now have the status and standing of being pleasing to the Father. We have the light. We live in the light. That is our identity and our destination. Amen? That's what's true of us in Jesus. So I want to invite you to the table once again at Park Community Church as we continue to walk with Jesus. The bread represents his body given for us when he was lifted up. The cup represents his blood shed for our sins, offers us forgiveness and cleansing. And if you desire to walk with Jesus, these elements are here to nurture you on the spiritual journey. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are the light of the world and that in you is life. Lord, I pray that we would be dependent upon your light and that you would illuminate the darkness around us and in us and that we would, in fact, live our light in the life as you have called us to. We love you, Lord Jesus. Have your way. Amen.